Revelation 18 this morning. Revelation chapter 18. If you are a Christian living in a world that is not your home, then you constantly feel the desire to give in to temptation. And that struggle, that desire, that wrong desire, never seems to end. And I can assure you that it never will end in this lifetime. That as long as you are a Christian, that as long as you live this life, that pull of this world system, of the temptation that's out there, will always be there trying to draw you in. But there's great hope for you and for me and for all believers. That that desire for sin, that, that wrong pull that, that is there will not last forever. It will not be eternal. The world system will be completely destroyed and it will be done in an instant when these people who we're going to read about that today in chapter 18, but when they talk about the destruction of the world system, they say it happens in one hour that God judges it in just a short period of time. So let me begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 18. I'll read the entire chapter. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great! She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back, even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow and I will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore, cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls, and fine linen, and purple, and silk, and scarlet, 
and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. The fruit you long for has gone from you. And all the things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city! She who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman or any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who had been slain on the earth. The way that Satan presents his temptation in our age is primarily through the world's system. And this system will be destroyed by the strongest force, the strongest being of all in the universe, and that is God. And so in this passage today, we're going to see the destruction of the world system. We talked last week about the doom of Babylon, that Babylon was, was as a religious system, was taken down. And that was taken down really by, uh, by the Antichrist. In the first part of the tribulation, towards the end, the midpoint of the, the end of the midpoint, at the midpoint of the tribulation, he, he takes down the religious system that's set up. And he, in its place, puts himself as the one to be worshipped. But that, that uh, takedown did not completely destroy Babylon. There's still all these other aspects, of the commercial and political aspects of Babylon that still go on. And what God is talking about here, what John is talking about through these visions he received from God, is that this world system, the political, the, the commercial aspects of this world system, will be torn down at the end of the tribulation. And it will be firm and final because, as it says uh, towards the beginning of this passage, that our God is a strong God and His uh, decision is final. 
So in verses 1 through 3, we see the announcement of Babylon's fall. The announcement of Babylon's fall. The angel comes, another strong angel, it says there. And um, uh, it doesn't say strong there, it says that later. But verse 1 is another angel. And this comes, notice the first three words of verse 1, after these things. Okay, so the focus on chapter 17 was all the abominations that they had against God and that, that it would be torn down by the beast. The beast would be stronger than her. Remember in the first part of the tribulation, uh, the, the, the woman, the harlot, who is Babylon, this religious system, was riding on the Antichrist. So in some sense, she had power over the Antichrist. But at the midpoint, when he destroys the two witnesses, when he comes back to life after dying, he's able to overcome and, and receive praise and, and acknowledgement from the entire world that is against God. And so he's able to destroy religious Babylon. Here, commercial and political battle, Babylon will be destroyed by God. And then it will be very clear who reigns. This will happen at the end of the tribulation in the Battle of Armageddon. We're coming to that. Chapter 19 will continue where we left off in chapter 16, that there will be this great uh, wrath that's poured out from God. That the, It's called the wine of God's wrath is poured out in full measure on the earth. And this will make way for Jesus to come and set up His kingdom on this earth. That it will be an earthly kingdom and He will reign as King on a literal throne, the throne of David. And so this angel comes and, and announces the fall of Babylon, verse 2. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. This is the main point of the passage, that Babylon will, is, the idea, will be fallen. Turn back to chapter 14, verse 8. Chapter 14. This announcement had come previously by an angel. And this was actually in preparation for the final judgment. And the angel at that time comes up to the height of heavens and he wants to announce to all people that, that beware, be warned. Don't get involved in this world system. It's going to be destroyed. Look at verse 8. And another angel, a second one, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. In verse 7, another angel had said, Fear God and keep His commandments. Give Him glory, that is. Verse 9, Don't follow the beast. You follow the beast, you're going to follow Him to destruction. And so, the warning comes before the destruction, but now it's actually here. Okay, we're, we're, we're moving now from, in chapter 14, from before the judgment to during the time of the judgment. And now we get to see all these eyewitness accounts all these people who were involved in the world system and had their hands in it and were, were uh, gaining profit from it. They stand off at a distance and say, whoa, whoa, the great city. Babylon has fallen. And so here we have the, the beginning of it. And there's three reasons for her destruction in verses 2 and 3. The first is that Babylon is demonic. Look at the second part of the verse. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Babylon is demonic. Second reason that she is destroyed, verse 3, is because of her unfaithfulness. 
says, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Like, like in the Old Testament, this immorality here probably refers to more than just physical immorality, although that was included, but it probably also refers to spiritual immorality, adult, uh, idolatry, that is. Often what would happen in the Old Testament when there was an idolatry going on, there was immoral practices going on along with it. And uh, you can see that in the Asherah pole and, and some of these other graphic images uh, that, that were used in the Old Testament. And they, these here, this Babylon, this world system, has bought into worshiping the Antichrist and propagating his evil and, and living for the, the things of this world and not for the things of the next. Even the kings of the earth fall into this. The, end of, the middle of the verse 3 says, And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the third reason, Babylon is demonic, Babylon is unfaithful, and the third reason is Babylon is drunk with riches. The end of the verse says, And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. In other words, because of the passions, the, the raw passions of the world, that they will they'll do anything to, to engage in these immoral practices, there are merchants who capitalize on that. They take advantage of these people who are very barbaric in the way that they're living. And uh, so Babylon is destroyed because it is an evil, demonic, unfaithful, ungodly world system. So following the announcement in verses 1-3, through three, we have in verses 4-8 through eight, a warning a warning about Babylon's futility. Notice the warning in verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her. Now, it's not clear who this other voice is. Maybe it's an angel. Maybe it's God the Father. Maybe it's God the Son. It's hard to know for sure because the text doesn't say. But even though the identity of the voice is unclear, the message is very clear. And that is, Come out of her. This is a warning. Don't get trapped into the world's system. This phrase was used, this come out of her, is used several times in the Old Testament by prophets to remind Israel and to warn Israel about their relationship with the world, that they needed to guard themselves from the wickedness of this world. Listen to Isaiah 52.11. Depart, depart, come out from there. Touch nothing unclean. Go out of the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the world. So so they are to come out of her, out of Babylon, the world's system. Now who is addressed here? Who is the one that's supposed to be listening to this message and respond? Well, I think specifically it's talking to tribulation martyrs. Look at the second part of the verse, verse 4 so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. And what plagues are those talking about? Are the, is the angel talking about? He's talking about the final plagues. Really, there's just this one left, the, the destruction of the earth in the seventh uh, bowl judgment, uh, the, the destruction of the people on the earth. The earth still remains. So, so clearly, this is speaking to the tribulation martyrs, but I would say by application that all Christians of all times must heed this warning. 
By application, we can learn from this that we should not participate in the world's system. And notice what specifically we're not supposed to participate in. He will not participate in her sins and receive her plague, plagues. The world system that is in some sense controlled by Satan is very dangerous. And the reason that we need to avoid this is because we want to avoid the judgment that comes, specifically the tribulation saints, I should say. I think I said martyrs earlier, but tribulation saints, the reason they are supposed to remove themselves from the world system is so that they don't receive God's judgment that comes upon the world system, upon Babylon. You, you, want, to, you want to engage in Babylon's sin? You want to engage in their idolatry, their immorality, the pleasures that are against God that Babylon has to offer? Because if you do, then you can expect to engage in the judgment that's going to come on that world's system. And so the warning, I think, is not just for the tribulation saints, but also for believers even today. We see the, uh, the reason for this warning in verses 5-8 through eight is because of, of the futility of Babylon. The futility of Babylon, that she will be paid back for what she has done. Verse 5 says, For her sins have piled up as high as the heavens, and God has remembered her iniquities. Her sins have piled up. It's as if we, we, we can even see the sins that if we just put them even on a piece of paper, we wrote down every sin that they did and just put them on a pile on the floor. They would pile all the way up to the heavens. That's the picture there. It reminds us of the people during Noah's day. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. When the Lord looked down and said, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God allows the sin of this world to continue to boil until, or to continue to heat up until it gets to a boiling point, at which time it's, it, it's time to get it off the stove. It's time to take care of the problem. God did that in the first worldwide judgment that He brought on the earth, the catastrophic flood judgment. He will do the same. Here, these sins will pile up to the heavens. Notice the, the language there in verse 5. At the end of the verse, God has remembered her iniquities. I've mentioned this before because this idea of God remembering comes up often in the Scriptures. And it's not the idea that God has to... It's not a cognition problem on the part of God that He didn't really remember what was going on, but now He remembers, comes back to mind. The idea is that God is calling something to mind, that He's bringing it to the front and going to act upon it. So in a positive way, when God remembers His covenant with Noah, that's a good thing, that He calls it to mind and acts accordingly. When He remembers His servant Abraham and protects Abraham's family from Sodom and Gomorrah, that's a good thing. But this remember, remembering here is not God bringing something to mind so that He can act in a special, favoring type of way. This is God bringing something to the front of His mind in order to move to action, to judgment, because He 
remembers. He calls to mind their sins. Notice what God does when He does that. When He calls to mind their sin, verses six through eight, He retaliates. Pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. And the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. So God retaliates. He's saying, pay her back. We don't think about God in these terms often. We think of God as a loving God, one who doesn't remember our sins, that He forgets about the weakness, that is, He puts them out of His mind, He moves them as far as the east is from the west. We don't often think of God paying people back for their sins, but that's because God is slow to anger, isn't He? And He's abounding in love. But that doesn't mean that He is slow to anger forever. One day His anger will be fully aroused and He will pay back Babylon for what she has done. And it says specifically that that um, this angel ought to give her, that is Babylon, back double the end of verse 6. Now it could be that God pours out judgment twice as much as the sin deserves. We have evidence of this in the Old Testament that seems that was the case. But I think it's probably more the idea of pouring it out in full strength. For what you did to me, I'm going to do for you. So the, kind of the double idea is what you did, I'm going to do. That's the double idea. So what I, what I take it to be is that, that, it's, that God's pouring out in full strength. The, the idea of retribution. You shed the blood of my saints, I'm going to shed your blood. And that seems to be what he's saying there in verse 7. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. So there it seems as if it's a one-for-one type idea. That's why the double idea can also mean pouring out to the full degree. Notice the arrogance of these people of Babylon, the end of verse 7. It says, For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow and I will never see mourning. In other words, no one can kill my people. I'm not going to sit as a widow. My men, hey, my you could picture her army, Babylon's army, as her spouse, her husband. And she's saying, I'm not going to be a widow. I'm not going to sit in mourning. And this is uh, this is what... We saw in Isaiah chapter 47. Turn there with me, Isaiah chapter 47, because we see Babylon making these same kinds of statements. And I think this really is what the angel is alluding to, probably this passage here in Isaiah chapter 47. I'm not going to go in mourning. I'm not going to be a widow. I'm fine. I sit as a queen. I sit in charge. Isaiah 47 verse 8. Now then, hear this, you you sensual one who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I will not sit as a widow, nor no loss of children, but these two things will come on you suddenly in one day. So here Isaiah is talking to Babylon. Verse 1 shows us that. And this is what the widow said, or this is what Babylon says, verse 8. I will not sit as a widow. I'm not going to lose my children. Verse 9, 
But here's what Isaiah says. But these two things will come on you suddenly in one day. Loss of children and widowhood. They will come on you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells. You felt secure in your wickedness and said, No one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. For you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. But evil will come on you which you will not know how to charm away, and disaster will fall on you for which you cannot atone, and destruction about which you did not, you do not know will come on you suddenly. Which reminds me of the people uh, in Peter's day who would say, God has always done things as He has. He hasn't judged me yet for my sins, so why would He judge me now? And Peter's point there is, Actually, God, things that that are as they seem now have not always been that way. There has been a judgment. There has been a worldwide catastrophic judgment in the flood. And so because we see God work in that way, we know He's going to work in this way at the end times. And that's what Isaiah's point is as well. You think just because you're sitting pretty that no one hears what I have to say? I am God and there is no, no one besides me. No one struck me down with lightning, so I must be okay. God's saying no. The final judgment will make that point very clear. Babylon here, you can turn back to Revelation 18. Babylon here is acting like the unsinkable Titanic. Called the unsinkable ship. And so she, Babylon, must be careful if she thinks she's standing firm, that she ought to take heed lest she fall. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. And so while it takes centuries, centuries for Babylon, Babylon to reach the pinnacle of its power, I said that that's probably a resurrection of the Roman Empire with the Antichrist leading it in the end times. Babylon is. It takes centuries to come to the pinnacle of its power where it's a one-world type of rule. It will only take one day for it to fall. Look at verse 8. For this reason, and one day her plagues will come. And she will be burned up with fire towards the end of the verse, for the Lord who judges her is strong. The reason that we know that her doom is sure is because our God reigns. Because our God is strong. And so while it took a long time for them to set up power, for Antichrist to come to rule, it will only it will be destroyed in one short period of time. Now, notice the responses to Babylon's falls to Babylon's fall. Okay, there, there's two types of responses. One is sorrow, and we see three groups of people that have sorrow over Babylon's fall. And the second type of of response is rejoicing. That's in verse 20. So verses 9 to 19 are the the sorrowful people. And you see this phrase that's repeated over and over again at the end of verse 10. Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And it's repeating, repeated with these other two groups. The first group that we have is the sorrow from the kings of the earth, verses 9 and 10. The sorrow of the kings of the earth. They cry out when they see Babylon fall, they stand at a distance. You see that in verse 10? They're standing at a distance. Why? Because of the fear of torment. They, they stand at a distance because they don't want to be a part of the judgment. And so they stand back 
and they are amazed as they see it go up in flames. And they say, whoa, whoa, oh great city, we've never seen such a city like this in the history of mankind. That is, an empire. We've never seen such a city. And yet now it's destroyed. The second group of people that mourns or is sorrowful over Babylon's fall is are the merchants, verses 11 through 17, the merchants. It says, And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. And then it lists all of these different items, these luxury items. The reason we know they're luxury items, look at verse 14. It says, The fruit you long for is gone from you, and all the things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away. And so it lists all these great materials, gold, silver, precious stones, silk, scarlet, ivory, wood, bronze. And notice at the end of verse 13, even slaves and human lives. Among the things that the merchants were taking profit from, that were earning profit from, not just goods, but actually people. They were using people as goods. They were trafficking human lives. shows the disgusting and depraved nature of this wicked city, this wicked world system. No longer would these goods be sold in, uh, in this world. No longer would these sorts of resources be available for these merchants to gain profit from. Of course, in a short matter of time, they're going to be judged by Christ Himself with the, the battle of Armageddon. And so they cry out in woe. They stand at a distance just like the kings and they stand and they watch the city go up in flames, so to speak. They don't want to experience its judgment and so they stand back and they say, wow, how sorrowful. That's the idea of woe. Sorrowful, sorrowful is this great city. It once was, was such a mighty city, a mighty empire. Now it's been destroyed. The third group of people that sorrows over the fall of Babylon are the seafarers and the captains, verses 17 to 19. The second part of the verse says, And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city is like this great city? In other words, this is unprecedented in human history. No city, no empire has ever been this strong, this powerful. What city is like it? And yet, how the mighty has fallen. Verse 19, they cry out in weeping and mourning, Woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. So the kings profit from her system. The merchants who are trafficking all these resources profit from her system. And the seafarers, the captains, profit from her system. Because all of this, these goods have to be transported across the world. Now it's fallen. And their source of income has perished with the world's system. So the first response to Babylon falling is sorrow mourning, weeping, crying. But the second response is rejoicing. Verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you 
against her. There's no sorrow in heaven over the destruction of the world city. This wicked city. This city who has set itself in defiance against God and His commandments. There's no sorrow in heaven. Instead, its destruction is a result uh, or is, is reason for great rejoicing. And notice who is supposed to rejoice. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints, and apostles, and prophets. Now, it seems to be referring to more than just tribulation saints or even just tribulation martyrs because it says, O heaven. It sounds as if the angel is shouting up to all who live in heaven, angels and humans, rejoice! Because God's judgment has come on the city that has opposed Him. That has opposed Him for ages, but now has come to the pinnacle of its opposition. And now you can rejoice because God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom through Christ. And so all in heaven ought to rejoice for her persecution. Verses 21 through 24 show us the permanence of Babylon's fall, that this is not just a temporary thing, that it's, it's kind of a bruising of a heel that's just shortly going to be disabled and then come back to life and really come with all of its power. No, this is permanent. Notice verse 21, Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. The metaphor here, the picture for us, is of a strong angel picking up the world system like a millstone. A millstone is a large circular shaped rock uh, that, that would be used to grain the grind grains into powder. Perhaps you've seen uh, seen real ones or even smaller versions of them. But these would often be uh, would be turned by a donkey. They would tie a donkey to it, and the donkey would just keep going around the circles. They put the grain in it, and it would be crushed and, and into powder. This millstone usually weighed between uh, a quarter ton and two and a half tons. And what happens when you throw something that large, that large of a rock, into a body of water? Does it kind of float there for a little bit and then maybe make its way back to land? Like a millstone, it drops to the bottom of the water and that's how Babylon, the wicked city, will be. It'll be a permanent fall. It'll be swift and it'll be permanent. Its permanence is seen further in verses 22 and 23 that there will be no more music, no more crafts, no more creativity, no more labor, no more light, no more sound. They'll be quiet on the earth. You won't be hearing the mills running. You won't be hearing the factories going because all of the things that were used to create all of the, 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 the evil in the world will be destroyed. Now, there's two more reasons for its fall there at the end of verse 23. Because it led the world astray. Because all the nations, you see there at the end of verse 23, all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. Same word used there in Isaiah chapter 47 that we saw earlier. So another reason for its fall is because it led the world astray. And then finally, verse 24, because it murdered the saints. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and all who have been slain on the earth. So the scene that John is able to witness here is is very similar to a courtroom scene. 
the belief the, the believers are the plaintiffs, as in uh, verse 24, the blood of her saints. They are the plaintiffs. They have the charge that's coming against, and they they are um, they are on the prosecutor's side. The Babylon would be the defendants. Verse five says, "For her sins have piled up as high as the heaven, as God has remembered her iniquity." So the evidence has been piled up against her. God is the judge, obviously. And the evidence is very clear that Babylon is wicked and deserves judgment. And so quickly and swiftly, Babylon loses the case and the sentence is brought down on her. And that's what we see there, the mourning that happens that you can imagine if this were a courtroom scene, that Babylon's on the defense side and as the, the verdict comes down, the people in the courtroom rise up in a, with emotion. The ones who were profiting from her system rise up in anger and frustration and mourning and sorrow. And, and, and the, uh, the believers there who are opposed to it with God, they rise up in rejoicing. Let me leave you with three exhortations for us from this passage. Three exhortations. Three points of application. Number one, Reflect on God's mercy for you. Reflect on God's mercy for you. In verse 5, it says that God has remembered Babylon's iniquities. Contrast that with this about how God views your sin. Psalm 103, 8-14. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities or what our iniquities deserve. For, verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, So the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He Himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Reflect on God's mercy compared to His judgment that's coming on Babylon, this wicked world's system. Then number two, remove yourself from the world's system. Remove yourself from the world system. And the picture I think that we ought to have in our minds is the same picture of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. Remember when the angel came to Lot and he said, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law, sons, daughters, whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy it because the outcry has become so great. Joshua called the people of Israel to destroy the Canaanites from among them, lest they become ensnared to their sins and their subsequent judgments. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17 Don't be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial or a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? God says, if I'm going to live among you, I need 
I need some some cleansing. So there there's there should be there should be opposition between us and the world system, and so we ought to like Lot come out of this world system before it's destroyed. First John two fifteen through seventeen, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. We have it here in in Revelation as well. Come out from the world system. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Come out of her, my people. If you want to avoid the judgment that comes on the world, then you need to be separate from the world's system. Proverbs 6 says, If you take fire into your chest, don't be surprised when you're burned by it. If you're dabbling with the things that that the world system has to offer with regard to pleasure, lustful, sinful, anti-God type pleasure, then don't be surprised when you're burned. Don't be surprised when you receive the judgment of God's wrath. Because those who drink of the wine of her immorality and the lust for power and money will drink of the plagues of God's wrath. So if you're living like these merchants and kings were living, like these seafarers, all it's all about the money. It's all about the luxury, the greed. And you're not living for God's treasure. You're not repenting of those things and turning to God. Then those treasures on this earth will burn up. They will not last. Why so many warnings? Why take chapter 17 and 18 to discuss Babylon's fall? Why not just say it in a few words? I think the point is that we ought to be recognizing that we are just as susceptible to to having an association with this world's system. We have to watch out for the pleasures of this world. One commentator points out, Grant Osborne says, take note of the items that were luxury items during the time of John's writing. Okay, verses 12-13. through 13. Take note of those items. I would encourage you to read through those again. Think about them. And here's what he says. We have nearly every one of those items in our home today. Don't think that you are not influenced by the world in any way. Don't think that you somehow have been, been able to put yourself on an island And keep yourself from it. We are all being influenced by the world in some way. Some of us to greater degrees. And the the warning is to watch out. Come out of her. Now Jesus said when He prayed, not that we ought to come out of the world, or or not that we we ought to... uh, That's not the idea, because we'd have to come completely out of the world. We need to come out of its system. Guard us from temptation, God. Keep us from the evil one that's trying to to get us entrapped. Whose side are you on? There's no neutrality. There's no standing on the fence. Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Don't, Don't try to put your feet on both sides of the property. God's and the world's. Choose. If you're going to follow the world, follow it. But expect judgment. 
If you're going to follow God, follow Him. Number three, there's no profit to gaining the entire world. Jesus said, what would it profit you if you gained the entire world and lost your own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Have you made a choice to follow God? Have you made a choice to submit to Him? Are you continually choosing to submit to Him? If so, then then you need to guard yourself from being trapped by the world's system, which Satan is trying to use to squeeze you into its mold. If I can get you just to love the world, you don't have to acknowledge that you love me, Satan's saying. Just love this system and the things of it. And I can get you to be pulled away from your love from God. Ultimately, you recognize that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not life, not death, not angels, not principalities, not not things present or things to come. Romans chapter 8. But our, our responsibility is to keep pressing on as believers. Don't give up. The world and its system, well, the world system will soon be destroyed and it will be replaced with a lasting city that we will get to read about in chapters 20 and 21. Until that time, the pull of sin will still be there. That is, the, the draw that it has on your soul. It will still be there. Recognize that. Don't, don't be afraid of that. Recognize that God is on your side. But that we can't fight this on our own. Paul said that, uh, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people in order to you know, ensure our salvation or to be assured of our salvation. We wrestle against the principalities, the rulers of the darkness of this air, of the air, the spirits who are now working in the sons of disobedience. There's a spiritual battle going on. Don't fall asleep. Don't find, don't don't be found uh, passive. Make sure that you're working to remove yourself from this world system. Let's pray. Father, we uh, recognize it's been a uh, a sobering charge, warning for us because there are so many things in which we can easily get involved in and pursue in this life. The treasures that we use to fill up our houses and, and to fill up our time and our pleasures. Some of them are neutral, certainly, but others are will draw us away from our love from You. And we don't want to be like the seed that's planted in in the thorny soil that because of the deceitfulness of riches and the things of this life that we never really take root. We want to be found fruitful, that we would uh, be bearing fruit and not just in the life to come. We, We want to see that fruit even now. And so we pray that You would give us evidence of Your genuine working in our lives. I pray that You would help any who are uh, struggling with their own heart and their own uh, failure to follow You, that You would strengthen their resolve to serve You. I pray that each of us would be encouraging one another and, and, uh, and strengthening each other, praying for one another. It's the only way we really can stand up against temptation is through, your, through praying. And so we ask for Your help. And uh, 
that we would arm ourselves with the the armor of salvation that protects us against Satan's wiles. And uh, we, we don't want to be a part of this world system. Help us to be discerning in each area of our lives. And I pray that the result of having been together today and having learned from Your Word would be that we would be better servants of You. We recognize that at best we are unprofitable servants, that we are unworthy slaves but we're thankful to be that. And we want to bring glory to Your name. We want to honor You as much as we can and and exalt our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us. So we ask for Your help. In Jesus' name, Amen.